The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart, like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will be used, again be used. Because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, in Beth Oprah. Roll in the dust, pass by naked and in shame, you who live in Shafir. Those who live in Zanan will not come out. Beth Ezel is mourning, it no longer protects you. Those who live in Maroth writhe in pain, waiting for relief, because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. You who live in Lashish, Harness fast horses to the chariot. You are where the sin of the daughter Zion began. For the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore you will give parting gifts to Moresh Gath. The town of Aksib will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I will bring a conqueror against you who live in Marishah. The nobles of Israel will flee to Adullam. Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourselves as bald as the vulture, for they will go from you into exile. Here ends the reading. Well, good morning and welcome. It's good to have you all here. Uh, nice to see everyone. Um, I don't know who of you had the same thought running to running through your head when you heard Micah was uh, what we were going to be looking at. Um, I know I've had a couple comments when asked, what, what's in Micah again? What's Micah about? Uh, it's one of those um, books that kind of, we, we're not sure what's happening there. Um, and I think it's partly because it's such a small book. Uh, it's uh, not one that we generally turn to within the Old Testament. We, we go to our good old favorites. 
whether it's here, we do the Psalms often, or Genesis through to Deuteronomy, or, uh, or 1 or 2 Samuel. But uh, this is part of the minor prophets. So Micah is one of the minor prophets that we find. And uh, quite an interesting book, uh, peculiar, um, when you start to unpack it. And maybe that's what stood out to you this morning as we read the first chapter. It is not necessarily that straightforward. There's a lot happening. Uh, and a few things maybe just to be said up front is, if you want to read ahead, uh, read ahead with caution. Uh, it's not like you read everything else. It's not chronological. Uh, there are ideas, there are certain things that take place throughout the, the book of Micah. Um, and because it is prophetic, it's picking up on certain ideas. So don't try and read it as a flowing order of events. Um, and beyond that, it is for us to read it now is one thing, but for the person who would have heard it for the first time, it may have sounded also slightly different. Within the context of their world at the time, events may have already taken place as they were hearing these words. Um, it may have been that it is, uh, as we could see in the beginning, and we'll take a closer look now at it, but with regards to Samaria, it is most likely that uh, Samaria and the unfolding events with Judah have already transpired to quite a massive degree, um, and the circumstances at least around Judah is quite intense. Samaria, what we do know is the northern tribes that, uh, that part of Israel, uh, they had already gone through a lot of persecution, a lot of uh, hardship. Um, they had been carried off into exile, um, and the last group that was left was well, Judah and this small group of Israel. So there is a number of things that we need to kind of keep in mind. Um, if you want to go and look at a map, um, I see Pierre's actually got it open there. Maybe you need to just hold it up for everyone. But what's really great is when you look at, um, at Judah within the nation of Israel, how small they actually are, and particularly what is left of Israel uh, that needs to still face something. And basically what's happening here is Micah is saying, be warned because what has happened to the other nation or the other parts of this nation is coming to you. Uh, you are, the, the very sin of Samaria is at your gates now. The very issue that they faced is now at your gates. Now if you want to go back into 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and you follow the story and the progression there, you will find, uh, and one and two kings, you find King Hezekiah in the unfolding events. Uh, particularly in two kings, you got King Hezekiah. And it's in that story that King Hezekiah invites uh, some spies, I would almost want to say, to enter into the gates of Judah, into the gates of Jerusalem, to see what they have. Um, and this is part of what was happening in that world. There were people, um, the world was at war. There was turmoil happening all around Israel. And the Babylonians were busy rising up. And they were looking at what was left of Israel. And what was left was Judah or Jerusalem as they were back then. So Micah sits in this weird uh, story of what is happening in this time. As you can see there in the first 
verse, it says, The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So that's kind of the backdrop of just a bit of the history of what's happening. There is there is shifts. There is tensions. There's power struggles. There is the desire for Israel to be conquered completely because Israel sits on such a crucial piece of land as a nation because they control the trade routes running between Egypt and running between all the other nations in the north and further on. And so whoever occupied that land could tax and, and tax any form of, of um, yeah, anything that came through there, basically. And so it was a hub for, of power. If you owned that, there would be, you could tax people. You could get more wealthy than what you were. Um, and here's Israel, or particularly Judah, sitting in the heart of that little spot, um, struggling for existence. And they will end up struggling all the more. Beyond that, with the historical kind of context behind us and understanding that Micah doesn't flow chronologically, something else that we need to pick up is the author. The author of this, of this book or the prophet is Micah. Uh, you may have heard that name before. It may be familiar to you. But Micah in its Hebrew form, what it means or what Micah's name means is a question. Who is like you, Lord? That is the question that his name presents. And if that doesn't necessarily resonate with you, notice what Micah does, because he is aware in that sense of the very question that he asks himself. So if you want to flip, you can quickly flip to Micah 7 verse 18. It's not a very long book. Micah 7, uh, Micah 7 verse 18 Himself, he asks, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgiveness, the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? So Micah himself, whose name means who is like the Lord, asks the question, who is a God like you? And so the series title that we have, if you want to see on your outlines, we're going with, who is like you, Lord? We ask the question, who is like you, Lord? Uh, following Micah's name, Micah's name is a covenantal name focusing on Yahweh, the Lord, whereas he comes to ask the question, what God is like the Lord? What God is like you? And so he asks God that question, basically. And so the focus that we have for this series is to really consider who is like the Lord. As we consider who he is, we will see God's identity, God's person, the person of who God is, who his characteristics coming through this book really strongly um, and in ways that we don't necessarily think about today. There are certain things that kind of go off our radar because of how we look at perhaps just the gospel on its own in our context. And so for us to take a book like Micah and bring it into our context is going to take some work. It's going to take some effort to really understand how a book like Micah in their context can apply to our context. Not only that, but this is for us, just as it is for Israel and for the nations. Notice what it says in verse 2. 
It says there, hear you peoples, all of you. Listen, earth, and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. This message is going to the earth, to the nations, to the entirety of existence in some ways. Not just Israel, but that what Micah is bringing, this message that he brings, is a message that resonates as true for everyone. There is a warning, not only for Judah in light of what happened to Samaria, but for all nations. Samaria faced the wrath of God in one sense, delivered through human hands, and so Judah would face the same, but the same is true for all the nations. As we sit here today, we face a wrath of judgment in some senses. Depending on where we sit in the spectrum of what we believe, we either are forgiven or we will face it. Judgment is part of God's, if we can say God's plan. It is a requirement. But when we say that we feel it a heavy thing, it feels difficult to swallow and digest. But it's not because God enjoys his wrath or judgment, but it's who God is. We flip to another verse just to highlight this. Uh, Micah in Micah 6, he asks this question. And these are the two, the end verses. And this is something that we need to hold on to as we look at the entire book of Micah. Micah 6, verse 8. He says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So these are some, this is a bit of an image for us to see. God has shown us what is good. And what does the Lord require of us? Well, to act justly, because God is just. To love mercy, because God loves mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. These are three key themes that we need to hold on to as we look at Micah. That God is a God of justice. He is a God of mercy. And he is a God that desires us to walk humbly with him. When we look at this introduction to Micah, or at least these first, this first chapter, we see the issue that is being faced. When zooming in on Samaria, their focus was on themselves, on their own on their own identity, their idols, what they wanted to do. And that is not focused on God. And as soon as it's not focused on God, God's justice kicks in. They weren't for God, and therefore His justice will kick in. It's interesting as we zoom in. Let's quickly look at those couple verses there from verse 3. He says there, Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. 
Very similar language that we have picked up elsewhere in the Old Testament. This idea that God, when he interacts with humanity, he doesn't come on the same level, but in fact he comes down. So the Lord coming down from his dwelling place, he comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. Strong image. All this is because of Jacob's transgressions, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place of planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temples, temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will, be, they will again be used. God is coming in to deal with what is wrong. God is coming with his justice. His justice is coming to judge, to deal with. Now, as we say, when you read this passage, it sounds stern and it sounds strong. And it also sounds like it must still happen. Whereas for Samaria, Samaria is the example for what will happen to Israel, to Judah particularly. Samaria has already crumbled. Samaria has fallen. They have become a wasteland. As for Judah, the same will happen. What makes it even more challenging is it, the solution to this problem is not simply repentance. Now this is where it gets complicated for us. Because we think that all that Judah needs to do is repent and God will stop in his tracks. But that's not the case. It's not about simply repenting. Something needs to happen and it will happen and it's already happening. God is going to bring about an exile as we carry on. God is about to bring about an exile for Judah. They will go into exile. And it needs to happen. Whether they repent or not, it will happen. This seems harsh, but this is God's justice. Judah, just like Samaria, has sinned. They have give, been given into their own desires, into their own ways. And the time of repentance has passed. It doesn't mean repentance is not necessary, but it means that God's justice needs to be done. And so as Samaria has been flattened, so Judah will be flattened. But not for the sake of just flattening Judah, but because God loves them and he is merciful to them. 
So this is where it becomes complicated for us. So just to pause there for a moment. When we hear this, that God will judge, that his justice will cause suffering, and that repentance doesn't stop God in his tracks, it sits uncomfortable with us. Because we sit here with understanding that if we repent, God forgives. That's how we understand it. And it's true. When we repent, God does forgive But as for Micah and what he shares with us here, the way God's justice works is there needs to be consequences. There needs to be suffering. There needs to be exile. There needs to be a level of payment for what has been done wrong. And as much as that is part of God's justice, it's also a picture of his mercy. God wouldn't punish them if he didn't love them. And so as we think about this today, as I say, it's difficult to swallow because our focus and our thinking is, well, Jesus Christ, he takes that all away. But we need to zoom in then for a moment just to understand the picture that Christ gives us. Jesus Christ, who never sinned, came into the world to die. The consequences of sins and transgressions he took on. And not because... And not just repentance would take it away. He had to go through it for us. So when we sit here today, we understand actually far more than what we realize about Micah. The transgressions of the world, of our own, our sins, are not taken away as we understand it, but actually laid upon Christ. Our transgressions were placed upon Jesus Christ. He endured it. He suffered it for our sake. And us repenting today doesn't undo what Christ did on the cross. He still died. He still suffered. So just as Judah would have to go into exile, repentance would not undo the necessity for them to suffer. But they had to go through it. But God would restore them. God would give them a new life and bring them back out of exile. So in some ways we can actually understand what is necessary and what needs to transpire for Judah. There needs to be a level of suffering for the sake of God's love and mercy to be shown. Christ had to die whether we repent or not. He still died. We repent because of God's grace, because of God's mercy, and because of His justice. His justice was dealt with through Christ. And for that we share in His mercy. 
I mean, it's so warped for us today. We're so disconnected in some senses from what is happening with Judah. Judah did something wrong. They suffered, but also experienced love. For us, we do wrong. Christ suffered. We don't feel it as weighty as it was, but we experience his love and mercy. There's a disconnect there. And that's why a book like Micah does become a challenge to preach because we have to do those checks and balances. We have to work through it so that we can actually feel and see the weight. And so this week, just thinking about that really blew my mind. And just thinking about repentance, how often, I mean, this morning, even one of the songs we sang was all about repentance. But my repentance doesn't take away what Christ did. My repentance is in light of what Christ did. Judah can repent as a nation, as individuals, as a people, but it wouldn't take away the justice that is necessary, the judgment that is necessary. but nor would it take away the mercy and love that God is willing to show. Do we feel the weight of that? Uh, It's difficult to paint the picture, but do you kind of get the picture of what's being done here in Micah? Micah's response, though, is kind of the the mood that is currently here. (laughs) There is a lament. Creates a heaviness. So thinking through that should actually create a heaviness for us. Should create a weight that feels almost overwhelming. The fact that suffering is necessary before you see God's mercy and love leads us to cry leads us to weep and to mourn. Listen to this lament that uh, follows in verse 8 onwards. I'll read for us. It says, Because of this I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. This is serious. This is massively serious. And I mean, if there's ever a way of describing sin, that's actually quite a good way of describing it. And how we should be responding. Weeping and wailing because of this incurable plague. But we know that the only one that can deal with it is God, is the Lord. So who is like the Lord? The only one that can bring about salvation. The only one that can cure. He goes on to say this in verse 10. And I just want to slow down just a little bit more here. 
because of the language that Micah uses. And you might have little footnotes all through this next section in your Bible. And it's actually really beautiful because, unfortunately, in the English it's lost. But there is, this is poetry on a whole other level. This is Hebrew poetry, making use of words that either sound like or actually mean the very thing that they are uh, connected with. So it says, tell it not in Gath. So Gath means to, or Gath, uh, it is to tell. So tell it in tell. Weep not at all in Beth Orphra. Now Orphra, uh, as it says, there's a house of dust. And again, we don't see that unless we actually understand the Hebrew word behind it. So in other words, it says in Beth Orphra, in house of dust, roll in the dust. And then it says, pass by naked and in shame, you who live in Shafir. Shafir meaning beauty or city of beauty. It says beautiful city or city of beauty, pass by naked and ashamed. Those who live in Zanan will not come out. And it's interesting because their name means go forth. So the very city that will go forth will not come out. Beth Azel is in mourning. Beth Azel means take away. A takeaway city. They are in mourning. It no longer protects you. Those who live in Marath wreathe in pain. Marath is bitterness. Those who live in bitterness wreathe in pain. I mean, you see the language that's actually being used there. Waiting for relief because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. You who live in Lachesh, harness fast horses to the chariot. And this one sounds like fast horses. (laughs) You who live in fast horses, harness fast horses to to the chariots. You who were in in the sin of daughter Zion began, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore you will give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath. Moresheth means bride. And you'll give parting gifts to the bride. The town of Akzib will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. Aksib is deceptive or deception or lie. See the play on words. All of these cities have significant words and names. I will bring a conqueror against you who live in Merashah. And that word is possession. I will conquer you who are a possession. I will overthrow you.
And so, as we look at what Micah is doing, I'm going to stop there. But as we look at what Micah is doing, he is saying the very name of the city or the places that you are will become your very reality, the very thing that you face. In some ways, it gives us this picture of what Scripture also says, the warning of how we judge. For what you judge with, you will be judged by. And in some ways, it's similar to that. Be careful if you judge. In the same way, you will be judged. Or if these cities are, as they are, rolling in the dust, or mean dust, they will roll in it. Who they are becomes their identity. And this is part of his mourning. There is judgment on these cities, just mentioned here, using it as an example. And these names that are given for these cities is their, becomes their reality. This is how he mourns. He says in verse 16, Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vulture, for they will go from you into exile. He ends this section by saying mourn. Mourn the loss of your children. Mourn the loss of those who will go into exile. Mourn. I wish it was a lighter passage. It really isn't. It's heavy. But I think this is part of what Micah is trying for trying to do, is to lay the weight. So if we leave here thinking that this is a good, happy, positive thing, I think we miss the point. It needs to be heavy. This is the consequence. This is the consequence of this incurable plague that is at the door of Judah, at the gates of Judah. There is mourning because what is going to happen is devastating. It is terrible. As I say, just as we look to Christ, what happened to Christ was terrible. Devastating. Absolutely shocking. Israel was God's chosen people. And because they were God's chosen people, when they deviated, they deviated from the Lord their God. And they faced consequences and suffering because God loved them. But not only because God loved them, but because they were supposed to be a light to the nations. Israel as a nation is dwindling in number. Samaria has already fallen, and Judah has the plague, incurable plague, knocking at its doors. 
How is this nation going to be a light to the nations? Micah weeps for the very reality that it seems as though Israel's light is fading. But God is just and He will show mercy. He will save. And Micah will get there. But not here. (laughs) We need to stew in this. We need to mourn about this. We need to feel the weight of what is going to be lost for the sake of God's glory. For the sake of His name. As Micah's name reflects, who is Like you, Lord. We ask that question as we read this. Who is like the Lord that these things will happen and that 2,700 years later from this time, we are sitting here and saying the nations around Israel were never strong enough to destroy the light that would come from Israel. Because a remnant was restored and a Savior was ultimately born who would take away the sins and transgressions of the world. But we mourn, we weep for that unfolding event To think what it must have been like for those who witnessed Christ dying on the cross. We think of Mary and Martha. Think of how they experienced it. The weeping, the mourning. There must have been others. I'm convinced there must have been. To absolutely mourn the loss of someone. And Christ suffered. He died. So that when we repent, when we come to him, we experience his mercy. We experience his loving kindness. That draws us in. His justice has been dealt with. And his mercy is extended. As I say, it's a disconnect for us in some ways. But when we unpack it and stew in it, we begin to feel it. We begin to experience a glimpse of what Micah is talking about. So this morning... What I ask us to do is chew on these words. Really go and think about it. Chew on it. Reflect on Micah. Reflect on what Micah's name means. Who is like you, Lord? And then chew on the first chapter of Micah. And then think about who Jesus Christ is and what he has come to do for us. In light of sin, in light of brokenness, 
but in light of God's justice and mercy. Really chew on that. Because Micah is going to keep taking us through that thought pattern as we go. And I really pray that you may find a sense of rejoicing today. That what we do deserve has been taken away in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you. We can just begin to contemplate who is like you. We know that we can't fully answer that question. But as we contemplate it and consider it, we know We know the answer, that there is no one like you. But yet sometimes we lose sight. Sometimes we think that maybe there is someone or something that might satisfy or offer something better. But it is only you that gives life. It is only you that saves. It is only you that truly shows mercy. Father, I pray that as we, as we work through this series of Micah, as we look at this book, that it may get us to ask some deep questions, some challenging questions, but come out with a greater appreciation and understanding for who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. Because Micah, as we've looked at just this morning, just lifts a bit of a, or gives us just a bit of a glimpse of the weight and the heaviness of what it means to actually suffer for our sin. And I think we take sin so lightly because we have lost an understanding of what it means to sin against you. The Lord, the Creator, the Sustainer, the Life-Giver, the Judge of all, May we come humbly before you. As Micah points out, the third thing is that we humbly walk with you. And when we see your justice and mercy, how can we not come in humility? We pray that in this week we may meditate on your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.